So we are in week three of a series that we have entitled uh, Like a Good Neighbor. And in this series, we are wrestling with Jesus' call to neighbor well. In, in week one, we talked about how Jesus said that the two most important things in life are love God and love your neighbor. That after loving God, the most important thing we can be doing is to love our neighbor. And yet as clear as Jesus was, there are still barriers that can, that can get between me, that can get between you, and this call to love well. And so we've been looking at some of these barriers and trying to figure out how to navigate them so that we can live into the call that Jesus has on our lives. And so last week, Pastor Laura walked us through barrier number one, this barrier of time. And, you know, it's really easy to go, hey, with all the other stuff on my calendar, where in the world am I going to find time to love people well? And Pastor Laura did a great job of walking us through just time. Is, there's nothing you can do to add more time to your world. And so we got to figure out, how am I going to prioritize the time that I do have in a way that reflects what Jesus has told me are the greatest things to be doing, to be spending my time on? How am I going to prioritize my time in a way that reflects the priorities that Jesus had and gave to me? Now, as we continue this weekend, we're going to look at barrier number two. But before we do, I just want to take a minute and pray about things going on in our world and in our church. Invite God to be part of this conversation, and then we'll jump into it. Father, just as we think about what's taken place over the last couple of weeks, just how ugly and broken things can be. Father, we pray that you would please be with those communities, with those families, especially those who have lost loved ones. Father, I just pray that you would have your hands on us as a nation as we increasingly seem to be pushing this idea there is no God. People are just the product of random chance and evolution. There is no afterlife. There is no accountability. And we see the impact that that has on people and their psyche and the decisions they make. God, help us to be a community that lives out a different message, that teaches a different message. Fathers, we just think about neighboring and what that communicates to people. Help us today just to hear from you and from your word, truth from you, on what can keep us from doing that and how to get beyond it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so when, when our kids were little, I would try and figure out different things I could do with my kids to connect with them, stuff that would be fun for them and at least tolerable for me. And so when, when my son Michael was little, we used to watch a show together for a season called Fear Factor. Any Fear Factor fans out there? Uh-huh. Back my, now, original Fear Factor. Not, not the remake. We want the one with Joe Rogan before he got himself canceled, all right? Um, but the way this show works was that, you know, you, they'd be a half hour or an hour or so, and they, they would run contestants 
through three different fear-filled challenges, and at the end of the show, if you're the last person standing, you would win $50,000, which by today's game show standards is not a lot of money. It still feels like a lot of money to me, and if it doesn't seem like a lot of money to you, you can give me $50,000 because it's not a lot of money. But uh, they'd have three challenges, and, and you know, like one of them would usually be something way up in the air, you know, where you're navigating stuff hundreds of feet off of the ground. Um, they usually had some kind of challenge with bugs, right? You know, so th this, this episode was famous. If you're a Fear Factor fan, they poured hissing cockroaches all over this girl. And she freaked out like nobody I've ever seen freak out. I mean, she just lost her stuff, right? And then every show, they would have some kind of challenge with food. And I don't know what they had to do with fear. It was really disgusting. It was entertaining. Like you had the Fear Factor pizza. It was made of bile crust and blood sauce and had rotten cheese and worms as toppings. And you, know, you had to eat it to get you know, move on in the show. So every Monday, Michael and I would plop down in front of the TV. My wife would leave because she wanted no part of Fear Factor, right? And we would watch his show and talk about the stunts and about how we could accomplish these stunts. Although neither one of us ever auditioned to be on the show, but it's what we would do to connect. Now, I bring all this up because barrier number two that we're going to look at today is the barrier of fear. Fear is something that oftentimes can get between us and neighboring well. Now, fear can look different for different people. What fear might look like in my life can be different than what it might look like in Percy's life or what it might look like in Grant's life. But fear can get in the way. It can get between us and the call to neighbor. For example, there have been times where I've wrestled with whether or not I was going to love somebody well because I was afraid what other people were going to think. Would they think I was soft or that I was being taken advantage of? Or I was worried about, you know, like, is the person I'm going to try and do this for going to think I've got some kind of angle or I'm trying to run some kind of game? Or, or, or like, drama. I just fear the drama. Like, I can see the drama in your world. And I'd like the drama to stay in your world and not bleed over into mine. And I'm afraid if I get involved in your world, the drama's, your drama's going to be my drama. Or I've seen, like, the fear of collateral damage keep people from loving well. Like I, I can remember growing up, there was a, a home immediately to our west. My, I watched my parents wrestle with this. They wanted to love that family well, but there were things going on in that house they did not want going on in our house. And so my, I watched my parents wrestle with how involved they were going to get with that family because they were concerned about the things that myself and my siblings would be exposed to. Or sometimes, you know, just boundaries, creates an issue. Like if you've, if you've ever opened the door up this much, to have somebody kick it open that much, you, you're afraid to go there again a second time. Or sometimes just fear for our physical safety or the safety of people we feel entrusted to, to care for will, will get in the way. I can remember when I was working as a social worker, I was a weekend supervisor at a particular facility and we had one of the staff members, her boyfriend showed up and literally tried to run her over in the parking lot. And I can remember wrestling with whether or not I was going to get involved because clearly this guy is unhinged. If I get involved in this thing, what's to say he's not going to come after me or my family? Whatever form it might take, 
whatever we want to call it, fear, anxiety, concern, caution, wisdom, fear can get between us and neighboring wealth. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take some time and we're going to look at a scene from the history of the ancient Israelites. It's a scene that highlights for us two different factors, fear and faith. Fear and faith. We're going to see both of these at play in this scene and we're going to watch as fear and faith impact the way the Israelites think and and the way they, they live into their God-given call, and the way they experience the purposes that God has for them. And my hope is that as we work through this scene and we see how fear and faith impact their lives, that we'll, we'll, we'll get a sense of what we can do to be people who are going to live into faith rather than fear when it comes to neighboring. Now, in case you're not all up on the book of Numbers and really familiar what's going on there, we're going to pick up in chapters 13 and kind of work through 13 and 14 and a little bit of background, right? At this point in their history, the Israelites have been set free from slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh's been left to do the dead man's float. They, they've received the Mosaic Law. They have marching orders for the, you know, their, their lives as God's people. And they are right there on the border of Canaan. Now, it hasn't been all smooth sailing. There have been you know, complaints about Moses and his leadership, and there's been grumbling about provisions, and there's been backsliding into idolatry. But at, here in Numbers 13, they're right on the edge of the promised land. God is getting ready to call them in and take this ground. This is, they're getting ready to receive promises that Moses began to make when he first showed up in Egypt. So, God says to Moses, he says, um, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So Moses picks 12 guys, sends them into the land to spy it out, true to the book of Numbers, you could call it the book of lists, those guys' names are listed out for you, right? and they go into the land. And they, they, they check out the cities and how big they are and how well fortified they are and what do the people look like and are they strong or not and, and how's the ground and what's the fertility like. And Moses said, hey, go to Costco there in Canaan, bring back samples of the produce, you know, and it was pre-COVID so you could still get samples at Costco. And so they, they, they spend 40 days checking the place out. And they come back and they give a report to Moses and to Aaron and the whole congregation of the Israelites. And the report goes like this. They say, we went into the land which you sent us. Just like you told us to do, Moses, we went in. And you're right. It's good. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit. Look at these grapes. They're like tennis balls, right? But Moses, it's, it's not all good. There, there's some issues here. Like the people who live there, they're powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. Moses, these people are like giants and they're going to have kids and they're going to name things like Goliath and Shaquille O'Neal and and Brock Lesnar and the like. Now, at this point in the meeting, you get this low-level murmur of dissension that's beginning to well up. 
And so you've got these ten spies who are given all this bad news. And, and one of the remaining two spies named Caleb, he stands up, tells people to simmer down. And he says to them, he says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But as soon as Caleb says this, those other ten spies begin to shout him down and they say, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they tell everyone, they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there of great size. We even saw the Nephilim. It's another big race of people. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, at this point in the meeting, the, the people who are part of this thing, they start to freak out. Right? That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. They're like, oh, it would have been, life would be so much better if we had just died as Pharaoh's slaves. A really good option would have been to drop dead in the desert and just cover me with sand. Wow, (laughs) such a positive group, right? You know, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt where we were slaves? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader. We'll get ourselves a new leader and go back to Egypt. As far as congregational meetings go, this is a bad one, okay? So with a congregational meeting here at Faith coming up in two weeks, I'm just going to ask, please don't go here, all right? This is a bad meeting. So, so, so you have Joshua and Caleb, the, the two spies who have a little bit of faith. They try and talk some sense to the people. They, they say to them, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Now, it's at this point when the people have said, forget it, we don't want to go there, we're going to kill you if you try and take us there. Judgment is pronounced. God says to the people, in this wilderness your bodies will fall. And every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census who grumbled against me, not one of you will enter into the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except for Caleb and Joshua. As for your children who you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into the land. <clears throat> I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. In other words, you don't want any part of the promised land, you'll have no part of the promised land. 
You think it's better to die in the desert? Okay, you're going to die in the desert. We're going to do 40 for 40. You explore the place for 40 days, you're going to wander for 40 years. Now, as far as scenes in the lives of the Israelites go, this is a really ugly one. But as far as scenes that are instructive about the impact of fear and faith, this is an incredible one. Like, in this scene, we see, again, how fear and faith will impact the way that we think and live into God's call and experience his purposes. So, so let's start with fear. We, we watch as fear it impacts the Israelites' thinking. It causes, it causes the negative to eclipse the positive. You, you, you have people, they have these spies, they walk through the land. They spent better than a month there. They, they have touched it with their hands, they've seen it with their eyes, they've sampled it with their mouths. They know how good it is, but fear has caused the negative just to eclipse the positive. You, you pick up on this in the description of the, of the land. I did the math. As they give a description of the land, they utter 22 positive words about it and 166 negative ones. For every one positive thing they have to say about the land, they have seven and a half negative things to say about it. Fear has caused the negative to eclipse the positive. Not only so, but fear has taken the negative and just magnified it. It's made it way bigger than it ever really was. They're like, oh my goodness, the defenses are impenetrable. The cities are huge. The, 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 the people, they make up every race we've ever been afraid of. We, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Fear has blown things up in their minds so big, they think they can read their enemy's thoughts. And none of it is any good. Not only so, but fear, it will cause you to embrace the worst possible outcome kind of mindset. And this happens again to the Israelites. They're like, they're going, the land eats people alive. We are going, if we go there, we're going to die. If we go there, they're going to capture our wives and our kids and do God knows what to them. Worst possible outcome possible, that's what's going to happen. And the fear, it caused the Israelites to reject God's call. Again, since Moses showed up in Egypt, they've been told, hey, God's going to take you to this land. He's going to, this, this property that God promised Abraham generations ago, you're going to receive it. They are right on the doorstep of that place. And because of fear, they say, we are not going there. And if you try and lead us there, we're going to kill you. And fear, it caused them, some of them, 
to, to completely miss their God-given purpose. And others, it delayed them living into that purpose for better than four decades. This is what fear can do. It'll just wipe you out. You see this with the ten spies. You see this with the congregation. Now again, the good thing is, this isn't just a story about fear. Even in the midst of the ten spies and all their fear, we still see faith. And we see it in Joshua and Caleb. And it Im- their faith impacts them just like the, the, the other ten, their fear impacted them. Faith, it helped them cultivate a can-do kind of mindset. While the, while the ten spies are freaking out, they're like, we can't do this, right? The, the, the land, it devours people. It's, it's, it's like a, a junior hire. It's going to gobble us up like an after-school snack, right? Caleb says to them, we should go and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. He saw all the same obstacles the ten saw. But faith caused, caused Caleb to see the hidden potential. To, to have a vision for the latent possibility. To spot the undeveloped promises. To, it enabled him to say, we can certainly do this thing. Faith, it, it develops a can-do kind of mindset. And, and while fear will cause the negative to eclipse the positive, faith can cause God to eclipse the obstacles. Again, we see this with Caleb and Joshua. As they try and talk sense into the, to the congregation, again, listen to what they say. Listen for the faith in this. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. You're, you're talking about how the land's going to devour the people who live in there? No. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Look, Caleb and Joshua, they're not denying there are obstacles. It'd be silly for them to do so. What they're trying to get the people to see is, look, God is with you. And he's bigger than the obstacles you face. It, it doesn't matter how big their cities are. It doesn't matter how big their people are. It doesn't matter how big the problems and the obstacles are. Your God is bigger. And your God is with you. And if he's with you, you can do this thing. And here's the thing. This kind of faith, it enabled Caleb and Joshua to live into their God-given call and their God-given purposes. 
And I say that because of what happened 40 years later. See, 40 years later, the Israelites find themselves again at the doorstep of Canaan. And in in a book that bears Joshua's name, you see different results. See, while the, the ten are going, this can't be done, Caleb's going, no, it can. And Caleb was right. And the ten were wrong. It could be done. You read the book of Joshua. Again, you've got the Israelites four decades later. They're right there on the doorstep of Canaan. And Joshua, he sends two spies in. He's like, forget this 12 stuff. We're going with two, all right? Sends two in. And you have this interview that the two have with a Canaanite. Listen to what she says. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you Israelites has fallen on us Canaanites. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We've heard what you did to Shion and Og, the king of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, Our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on earth below. These are the people who the ten were scared to death of. See, they were wrong. Joshua and Caleb, they were right. It could be done. God was with them. God was bigger than the obstacles they faced. And and I know they're right because you read the book that bears Joshua's name and you watch a people live into faith. And you watch them accomplish their God-given purpose and their God-given call. Now, there are all kinds of principles that we can derive for our lives when it comes to fear and faith from this passage. Today, we're going to limit our conversation to how fear and faith can impact neighboring. So here's what I want you to do. All right, Whether you fill the connection card out today or not, I want you to pull a fresh one out of the seat pocket in front of you. So right there in the seat pockets in front of you, there are all kinds of connection cards. Everybody in the room, pull one of those out for me. If you're watching online, you can uh, push pause, run, grab something to write with, something to write on. I promise we'll be right back here waiting for you as soon as you come back and push play. All right? So pull one of those out. And what I want you to do is pull out a pen as well. There are pens in there. And I want you to, to answer this question in your, in your mind initially. Who's my neighbor? Week one of this series, we, we talked about how Jesus said, hey, your neighbor is the person in need in your proximity. And if you were here week one, this should be a really easy question to answer because that was part of your homework, right? And so what I want you to do is just think about who's one person God has in my life who's in need? I want you to put any other information on this connection card. I just want you to write down the first name of that person on that card. Just write their name down. This is my neighbor. This is a person God has in my proximity who's in need. Write their name down. One name. Write it down. 
Now, after you got that name written down, here's the next question we're going to think about. Am I loving my neighbor the way that Jesus wants me to? Jesus said, hey, the most important thing in life that you can be doing after loving God is loving your neighbor. Am I loving this person the way God has called me to? And if I am, that is wonderful. But if I'm not, why is that? Why is that? And coming back to what we talked about today, could fear be part of why I'm not? Like, when, when, when I think about loving that person, all the negative things that could happen if I, if I, if I lived in the neighboring the way that Jesus has called me to, do, do they just come rushing into my mind or do they eclipse all the positive things that could happen? Or if I let those things, if I let fear magnify those things so they're way bigger in my mind than they really are in reality. Or if I got this like worst possible outcome scenario playing out in my head. Like if I was to sit down with another person and say, okay, I'm supposed to you know, be loving, here's, I'm supposed to neighbor well, here's some things that I could do, but I'm afraid if I do that, here are the things that are going to happen. Would that person say to me, I suppose those are possibilities, but you kind of go on all doomsday on me here. Yes. Or would they say, okay, yeah, I can see that. That's legitimate. Like is fear causing me to reject my God-given call? Is it delaying me or keeping me altogether from my God-given purpose? Well, let's, let's approach it differently. What would it look like with that name I have written down there? What would it look like for me to live out faith in my relationship with that person? What would it look like for me to have a can-do mindset? To have a vision for the latent possibility? To look for the undeveloped promise? To, to, to approach this and go, okay, yeah, here are the obstacles, but this can be done. Or I'm not asking you to be stupid, to, to do things that are, that, that are foolish and unwise, but because here's the deal. Sometimes fear is a God-given protection mechanism. But fear shouldn't control me, and it shouldn't eliminate God from the equation. So with the name you have written down there, what would it look like for you to live in relationship with that person if you really believed God is present and he's bigger than the obstacles? God is real, he is present, and he's bigger than the problems. I'm going to live like that. See, people who say it can be done, people who like God eclipsed the obstacles. Those are the kind of people who live out their God-given call, who experience God's purposes worked out in their lives and their relationships. So here's, here's what I want you to do next. Next to that name, I want you to write one or two words. Fear or faith. 
If today you're willing to live in the faith moving forward in that relationship, write that word down. If today, for, for whatever reason, you're not ready, you, there are obstacles you cannot get beyond, whatever it is, if you're not ready for faith, then write the other word in there. And then fold that card in half. And after service today, when you're making your way out, there are plates for the offering. Just put that card in there. And before we move on to worship, I'm going to pray for us and whatever word we wrote down. So let's pray together. Fathers, we look at these names of people who you have directed into our world, people who you have called us to love. Father, help us. For those of us who have written down fear, God, help us to see how that fear is impacting how we think, how we're answering your call, how we're experiencing your purposes. God, help us to see what's driving that fear. God, help us to get beyond it. Father, for those of us who wrote down faith, give us wisdom, give us courage, give us strength. Help us to consistently live into that. Help us to be the kind of people who love a neighbor the way that you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.